We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, December the 9th, 2019. On today's show, 2019 postseason award show. I'll hand out some awards for the 2019 football season, including the MVP, Offensive and Defensive Players of the Year, Rookies of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, Most Improved Players, Biggest Surprises, Disappointments, and much, much more. Also, going to talk Gamecocks basketball. South Carolina suffering a 20-point loss at home against the Houston Cougars on Sunday afternoon. I'll talk about the game, break it all down, what it means for the season moving forward as South Carolina continues to navigate its way through non-conference play. Also, some quick thoughts on Mike Bobo, as it appears he is to be named the new offensive coordinator this week. Other news and notes to get to your listener questions. And we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecock Spur, Sherrod Golightly, that I'm sure you're going to enjoy very, very much. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, Ag South Farm Credit, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit specializes in land financing, and they've been doing so for over 100 years. They make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland, farm and pasture land, even home mortgages and construction. They have a ton of great benefits, including long-term fixed rate financing for 20 years, down payments as low as 15%. They have competitive rates and they pay an average of 25% of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. So they're a cooperative, so they share in their profits with their member borrowers. So guys, for example, on a $300,000 loan at 6.5% for 20 years, you would get back $2,770 each year. They're literally putting money back in your pocket. They've also got an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance. So guys, when you're making a big time life decision like this, you're getting a mortgage, you're buying land, you know, you're buying a car, you're getting married, et cetera, et cetera. When you make any big time life decision in life, you want to make sure you have the right people in your corner, the people that have your back, they're going to have your best interest in mind. Ag South Farm Credit is that lender. I know someone like me personally, I'm looking forward to the day where I'm going to buy some land and hopefully build my own house and stuff like that and have a mortgage. I want to feel comfortable about it. And Ag South Farm Credit is definitely that company that's going to make you feel comfortable and assist you throughout the entire process. A lot of people have been asking me, obviously the name Ag South Farm Credit has farm in it. So is it just for farmers? I know people can get confused on that because of the name. Not at all. So their mission is to support rural America and that can include just about anything that involves the purchase of land. So a lot of their customers are just those that want a piece of property outside of the town that they can live on. So you do not have to be a farmer. It can be literally anyone that wants to live in a rural area, get land, build a house, et cetera. Uh, for more questions about what Ag South Farm Credit can do, give them a call at 844-AG-SOUTH or go to their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. 
Again, that's agsouthfc.com slash TSUS, Ag South and Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 619-788. So, again, visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash TSUS, or give them a call, 844-AG-SOUTH, and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone. The Spurs Up Show. I'm Chris Phillips, as always, your host. Appreciate you guys sticking out with me. It's been a crazy last week or so. I know you're listening. This show didn't come out on time on Monday, which I do apologize. This will not happen again. I promise you this is not going to become a trend. Been a crazy last week, though, as far as the business side of things, as far as it's funny, in December, I thought things were going to slow down. I've been as busy as I have been all season. So I do apologize for that. Apologize for the technical difficulties last week. My MacBook charger decided to completely spaz out. Um, so I had to wait to, for Amazon to bring me another one. So I do apologize about that. But we are back in business. The show must go on. We are rolling uh, as we always do, as normal. So I appreciate you guys tuning in, being patient, being understanding with me as well. Um, again, we are good to go now as normal. Uh, fantastic show. Got a lot to talk about. Excited to do the postseason awards show. Did this last season. And uh, really, really fun to talk about, obviously. Kind of reflect on the 2019 season and put a bow on it. And also a great interview. Sherrod Golightly. Phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. You guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get into everything, a couple of housekeeping items. If you haven't done so, rate, subscribe to the show. Go leave five stars. Leave your feedback. Tell me what you like, you don't like. Um, let us hear your voice. Uh, and really do appreciate you guys doing that. Obviously, it helps boost up the show and helps boost it up so people that maybe you're unfamiliar with the Spurs Up show can find it. So really, really do appreciate everyone that's taken the five seconds to leave a five-star review or leave a review in general. And also, again, if you're listening you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button. You'll get the daily notifications when the daily podcast drop each and every single week. Um, also, really quickly, want to highlight my friend Bobby Haney, his book, From King's Park to Omaha. He is selling that for $11.99, a great stocking stuffer for any Gamecock fan. If you are interested in buying the book, simply shoot him an email, bobbyhaney23 at gmail.com. Or if you want to shoot me a DM and I'll facilitate everything and get Bobby to reach out, we can do it that way as well. But again, From King's Park to Omaha, it's a great read, a pretty easy read, like a 100-page book, but it's a great stocking stuffer. will actually come signed by Bobby Haney as well. Bobby's doing that. Um, really, really, really cool stuff. Just want to make you guys aware. Um, all right, let's jump right into it again. I really do appreciate you guys tuning in and I apologize for the last week, the technical difficulties, the, the show coming out late. I, I kind of feel for my, my early morning crew. Cause I know there's a ton of you that listen to this podcast on your commute to work. So again, this will not become a trend. I thought about it. I thought about, it. I could just release my show every day at noon, but I do not want to take away from my early morning crew because I remember being on my commute to work in the morning and I loved listening to my podcast on the way to work. It gets you through the drive. So again, this will be there. We're going to continue to roll as we've always rolled. The show will come out at 5 a.m. each and every single day. Appreciate you guys tuning in again. Your patience um, for sticking it out. Like I said, it's been a crazy last week. Um, all right, 2019 postseason awards show. Drum roll, please. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> We're going to start with the MVP of the 2019 football season. Um, this one was a pretty easy selection for me, and it goes to Brian Edwards. 71 catches, 816 yards, six touchdowns. But more importantly, broke the school record for most career receptions, uh, consecutive games with a reception, uh, total yards. Would have probably broken the touchdown record if he did not get hurt. But to me, overall, when you look at it, Brian Edwards was the guy 
that to me really stood out for South Carolina. You know, obviously had a ton of great moments. He had the one-handed catch at Tennessee, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Actually, gets an award itself. But uh, overall, I think Brian Edwards was the team MVP. And when you saw him hurt at the end of the season, I think he certainly cemented that because this was a different team and a completely different offense when he was not in the lineup. I mean, granted, the Gamecocks offense was never <clears throat> it was never great this year. By any stretch of the imagination, that's obviously a, a plethora of things, plethora, plethora of reasons why that was the case. But to me, Brian Edwards, when you took him out of the lineup, this team completely changed, especially offensively. So I think Brian Edwards, to me, is the overall team MVP. You know, there was another guy on defense by the name of Javon Kinlaw that sort of pushed for that title. But on a week-in, week-out consistent basis, to me, Brian Edwards, 100% the guy who is deserving of the 2019 MVP award. Um, Let's move into Offensive Player of the Year. And, you know, it's funny. I tried to say, well, do I want to give somebody else the MVP or somebody else the Offensive Player of the Year award just because I think Brian Edwards deserves them both. I mean, again, Brian Edwards, a guy that you simply could not do without. Um, Brian, a guy that, again, when you took him out of the lineup, this lineup looked completely different. The wide receiver position struggled mightily without him in there. The offense struggled mightily without him in there. So I think Brian Edwards more than deserving, especially being a senior, more than deserving of all these accolades. To me, he is the Offensive Player of the Year, unquestionably, for South Carolina. Um, I just talked about him a second ago. We'll move into the Defensive Player of the Year. It's got to be, in my opinion, Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Kinlaw, who – a guy in 2019 who – a little bit of inconsistency. Granted, he's a guy that was getting doubled and tripled a lot. So, I mean, when his numbers fell off, it was normally because of that. And other guys on the defensive line flourished. I think you definitely saw that this year. But a guy – when he was on, one of the best in the SEC, if not in the entire country, finished the 2019 season, 35 tackles, six tackles for loss, and six sacks. That sack number really stands out. I would not have expected him to have six sacks on the year. But he finishes with six sacks and was really a dominant force for South Carolina. Like I said, when he was, when he was on his game, when he was at his best, I mean, the play that really jumps off the page to me that I remember vividly that I know got talked about on social media was um, – the play where against Alabama, he basically shoves the offensive guard back like 10 yards or so into the backfield and makes the play. You know, that really to me was like a microcosm of the dominance of when Javon Kinlaw again, of when Javon Kinlaw was on. Again, he was one of the most disruptive players in the country, in my opinion. So I, I think Javon Kinlaw, easy selection here, defensive player of the year. Again, there were a couple guys on the defensive front that uh, certainly competed for this award as well, but I think they all benefited because of Javon Kinlaw's just pure dominance throughout the 2019 season when he was on. Um, all right, let's move into Offensive Rookie of the Year. This one was kind of tough. Um, really wanted to give it to Xavier Leggett, but you know what? This guy, to me, really stood out this year. He didn't get the amount of carries I think we all would have liked to have seen. Obviously, battled some injury, had to come back from injury. But to me, the Offensive Rookie of the Year, my opinion, is Kevin Harris. Um, and again, I, I know his action was limited. It was very limited. He only had 21 carries for 179 yards, but he had four touchdowns on the season, um, which is good enough for second best on the team. So, I mean, to have that type of year as a freshman, again, Xavier Leggett really thought about giving it to him, but overall, Kevin Harris, the guy to me that stands out as the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think Gamecock fans are really, really excited for the future of the running back position and the running back room, especially with Marshawn Lloyd coming in. But I think Kevin Harris is going to have a lot to say in regards to who gets the bulk of the carries in 2020. Because I think Kevin Harris showed you a lot of potential. Um, 
again, did not get a ton of playing time, but when he did, he made it count. I mean, four touchdowns again on the ground. So great year from Kevin Harris. Um, was great to see him come back from injury. Obviously, we know he suffered the injury, but uh, overall, offensive rookie of the year, Kevin Harris for me. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. This one's super easy. This one is super, super, super easy. And it goes to a guy that, you know, when you watch him, just simply plays the game of football the right way. Got guy that just plays hard, plays tough, brings kind of that DJ Swearinger type swag type mentality type of attitude to the secondary, and that is Jamie Robinson. Um, a true freshman, 62 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, a pick, a forced fumble. Guy was all over the field. I thought he got – this was a guy, too, to me that improved so much over the course of the season. Like, he got better and better and better each and every single week, I feel like. A guy that, again – 62 total tackles, always around the football, always making big plays. He had the big interception as well against Florida. Um, but Jamie Robinson, a guy that, again, you know, this was, a, this was a secondary that, you know, I was extremely critical of at times. I know others were as well. But, you know, Jamie Robinson, a guy who's super young and really played beyond his years. I mean, a guy that just was always making plays, was always around the ball. You know, again, did he have some freshman mistakes? Sure, he's a true freshman. But – I thought a guy that had a really, really impressive 2019. Again, someone that I know South Carolina fans are very, very excited to watch. And I'll be completely honest with you guys. He's got the potential, in my opinion, to be the Gamecocks' best defensive back next year. I mean, I know that seems crazy when you say that you've got guys like J.C. Horn and Israel McCormick on the roster, but I don't know, man. Jamie Robinson's a guy that flies around the football. And that's more of a compliment to Jamie Robinson than a knock on those other two guys. Um, very, very excited for what Jamie can do with especially another year in the weight room, another year of development. But overall, Jamie Robinson, to me, easy pick for the defensive rookie of the year. Um, comeback player of the year. This was one that I was kind of split on as well. Um, this was one I was kind of split on as well because you had two different guys to me that came back from injuries that, you know, both had really good years. I'm going to stick on the offensive side of the ball, though, for this one. I'm going to give the comeback player of the year award to Rico Dowdle. Um, and I give it to Rico Dowdle more so because this is a guy consistently has consistently battled injuries throughout his entire career to come back, have the kind of year he did. Again, he got nicked up a little bit this season. But for a guy that was completely written off, was completely written off in – the preseason and by me by others basically when Tavian Feaster decided to come to South Carolina most most believe that Rico Dowdle's days as a running back at South Carolina pretty much were numbered all he does is come out rush for 500 yards four touchdowns ran the football as well as he's ever ran it is in his entire life um again I just thought a guy that really just shouldered everything, all the adversity, and used it to his advantage. I mean, he he was running back number one. I mean, as good as Tavian Feaster looked this season, Rico Dowdle for the majority of the season, especially when he was healthy, was the Gamecocks' number one running back. No questions asked. So, to me, that speaks volumes to his character, his work ethic. You know, I, we heard in the preseason that when Tavian Feaster got on campus, it sort of lit a fire under Rico Dowdle, and he started to change his body and look a lot differently and perform differently, and you saw it on the field. So, Overall, the other guy that I was thinking about giving it to was DJ Wanham just because he came back from the injury last year. But when you think about everything else that Rico Dowdle had to fight through, including being basically, again, written off by his fan base as a guy that probably would not hold up under an entire season or be the guy that South Carolina needed at the running back position, he balled out, had a phenomenal year. So Rico Dowdle more than deserving of the Comeback Player of the Year award. Um, most improved player. This one's a fun one to talk about because this guy, to me, made a major, major, major jump from last year to this year, 
and that is Aaron Sterling. Um, Aaron Sterling, and there's a, honestly there's a couple. There's a couple other guys in this defensive front that I think could have gotten the most improved player award. The one that jumps off the page to me or name jumps in my head is uh, J.J. Navarre. I thought he had a fantastic year as well. But Aaron Sterling, 40 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, six sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Um, I did not – you know, we knew the Gamecocks had bodies in the defensive line and they had depth and they would be – that would probably be the strongest unit of the defense – I did not see those type of numbers coming from Aaron Sterling, though. Um, one of the best rushers in the SEC, a guy that played extremely physical and extremely fast off the edge. Again, another guy that had a phenomenal year. Again, while South Carolina struggled so mightily on the offense, I mean, the defense did all it could to keep South Carolina in football games, and it started with that defensive line. You know, they say secondaries love a great pass rush. South Carolina certainly had that. And when it did beat Georgia and when it won games this season, it was due to that defensive front playing phenomenal. And Aaron Sterling, a guy certainly that was a part of that. You know, I talked about Javon Kinlaw a little bit earlier. He did not have to do it all this year. And I think that's a huge reason that he had such a good year was because he had help from guys like an Aaron Sterling who really, again, I, I thought improved tremendously from last year to this year. I mean, a guy that last year was, you know, a nice – situational guy, you know, a nice piece overall, but nothing like we saw this year. Double digits, tackles for loss. I mean, six sacks. I mean, just just gaudy numbers. I mean, a really, really good year from Aaron Sterling. Again, more than deserving of the most improved player award. Uh, let's move into coach of the year. And this one I did go split on. I, I could not give this to one guy. Both of these guys, to me, really deserve it. It's kind of fitting their offense, defense. So we can say we have one for offense and defense. But the coach of the year or coaches of the year for me, on offense, Thomas Brown, no question, hands down. On defense, John Scott, defensive line coach. And it's kind of ironic because both those guys are brand-new coaches for this year. They, they, it was their first year at South Carolina. But, I mean, to me, it's, it's a no-brainer. Their, their, their position units were the best on South Carolina's team. When you look at the running backs on the offense and you look at the defensive front on the defense. I mean, there's no just, just no questions asked. Um, I think right now what you're seeing as well with the offensive coaching reshuffling um, – you know, it's not a surprise that Thomas Brown is not going anywhere and that he should not be going anywhere because, again, of the offense, that was the one bright spot was the running back room in the running back position. Um, John Scott, again, with the defensive front, I thought, you know, transforming players like Aaron Sterling, J.J. Nibari, Rick Sandage, getting the most out of those guys, I thought you saw that this year. So both of those guys, to me, extremely deserving and just have been a huge addition to the Gamecocks football coaching staff. Um, all right, kind of a funnier award here. The Are You Kidding Me Play of the Year, going off of Todd Ellis. The Are You Kidding Me Play of the Year, and this one, it's a no-brainer. Brian Edwards, the one-handed catch at Tennessee, probably the best catch I've ever seen in a football game ever. I would assume many of you would agree as well. The most absurd catch I've ever probably seen live. Um, I remember my jaw just dropping and being in awe for like a straight 10 minutes. Um that one-handed catch was, again, probably the best catch I've ever seen. I mean, Odell-esque. I mean, was it, was it beyond Odell? I mean, goes up with one hand over the guy. How he didn't get in the end zone, I think he probably still did get in. I, th I thought it was a touchdown. Either way, though, insane. An insane catch. Truly epitomizes the are-you-kidding-me play of the year because I think that's what all of us said, and I haven't watched that highlight in a while. But I'm pretty sure Todd Ellis said, are you kidding me on that play? I would be shocked if he did not. But hands down, easily the best play, and I think maybe the best play of the 2019 college football season, period, is Brian Edwards' one-handed catch at Tennessee. Um, all right, let's move into the biggest surprise 
<clears throat> biggest surprise of the 2019 football season. And I'm going to switch it up on this one just a little bit because I was going to give it to Rico Dowdle, but I want to switch it up and talk about this guy because we can't talk about the 2019 season without talking about Ryan Helensky. Um, Him stepping in, taking over for Jake Bentley after week one, performing the way that he did. Again, was not a perfect year for Ryan, a guy that is a true freshman or was a true freshman. Um, But, you know, overall, when you take a look at Ryan Helensky's numbers, I mean, for a true freshman, uh, completed 58% of his passes through 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, you know, overall averaged 214 passing yards a game, uh, threw for 2,357 total yards. You know, to me, the biggest surprise of this season probably was just the fact that he – I mean, did, did any of us going into the football season expect Ryan Linsky to take over and be the Gamecock starting quarterback week two through the end of the year? I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, now, obviously, it was from unforeseen circumstances with Jake Bentley suffering an injury. But overall, to me, when you talk about the biggest surprise of the 2019 season, I mean, Rico Dowdle being the number one running back certainly was a major surprise to me. But, you know – Ryan Helensky touching the field was a major surprise. But outside of mop-up duty was a major surprise to me. And then the way that he played, I'm not sure I was shocked that he played well. I think we all knew the kid had a ton of upside. He had a ton of potential. But to me, that was the biggest surprise of the 2019 season was the way that Ryan Helensky really took over this football team, him taking it over so early in the season and then playing throughout the entire year. Um, I don't think any of us saw that coming. I, again, and again, I know it was unforeseen circumstances with Jake getting the injury, but uh, just still a crazy twist and turn of the 2019 season. The biggest disappointment of the 2019 season, to me, you got to go back to Charlotte week one. It's just the week one game against North Carolina, losing to UNC. You know, that, that to me just, just – it really set up everything else that we saw in the 2019 season. That's got to be the biggest disappointment, no doubt in my mind, no question – um, I know for me personally, I mean, you hype up the entire offseason, get ready. And I know everybody talked about, you know, the schedule was tough and, you know, keep your expectations. Too. But I had a 7-5 and five season, though, and I just – going in that game, because I, I tell people, people ask me, like, about that game, and obviously we all remember the post-game tirade that I went on about Coach Will Muschamp and all that stuff. I mean, I really think that just stemmed from being so excited for the season and it being such a letdown in Charlotte. Like, we've been looking forward – eight months for this. Like, that's kind of how it felt. So, again, the biggest disappointment for me personally of the 2019 football season, unfortunately, there's a lot of candidates for this award when you go four and eight. But I go back to Charlotte week one. I mean, it's just – it's where it started. I mean, it, it, that set the tone for what we saw throughout the rest of the season. Um, the best moment of the 2019 season. What was the best moment? To me, it's no question Rodrigo Blankenship missing the kick against Georgia for South Carolina to secure the upset win. I don't know how you pick anything else. The only other thing that jumped to my mind, which was a great moment, was Ryan Linsky's first career touchdown pass when he looks up to the sky, reaches up, puts the three up. That, that, was, that was a really, really cool tear-jerking type of moment. But to me, overall, for South Carolina fans, for South Carolina as a team, you know, when, you, when we talk about the 2019 football season, there's going to be one thing that sticks out. Like, when we talk about it 10 years from now, there's going to be one thing that sticks out, and that is South Carolina going into Athens as a basically four-touchdown underdog and beating the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, all thanks to, at the end, Rodrigo Blankenship pulling the kick. Um, and that just – the video of that kick, that, that was the – by far the best moment. I'm sure – I know those of you that were there would say that was the best moment. For me, we had a watch party that day. That, that was probably top – three if not the greatest 
moment, one of the greatest moments of my South Carolina fandom, celebrating that missed kick with my friends. Um, phenomenal. I mean, just a phenomenal day, great win. Definitely the best moment of the 2019 football season. The worst, quote, I hate myself, end quote, moment. The, the I hate myself moment of the year for me personally. And again, take you guys back to week one. The worst I hate myself moment was sitting in Bank of America Stadium week one, and I stayed the entire game. I stayed with the clock at zeros. I stayed after the pick. I stayed – the stadium was empty, really. Any of those, Anybody that remembers the videos I did, I was in the stadium. But the I hate myself moment for me, sitting in Bank of America Stadium week one with UNC fans screaming their alma mater in my ear, literally the row behind me. That was – Probably the biggest I hate myself moment of the entire 2019 season, knowing we had lost that game, knowing we had just lost to UNC, all of the hype, the excitement, the emotion, everything we felt, everything that we felt going into that 2019 season, gone. Pretty much disappeared, evaporated. You go from the high of, I literally tweeted out, I don't know why UNC fans bought tickets. I don't know why they showed up, basically implying that we were about to steamroll them, to getting the UNC alma mater sung in my ear as loud as humanly possible, and I had to sit there and basically take it. So that was the I hate myself moment of the year for me, no doubt. Um, best guest. So this is a fun award. The best guest of the 2019 football season. This one was in the preseason, but I start I start football season, let's say, August 1st. That, that, that's when you start fall camp and stuff like that. The best guest for me in the 2019 football season, I don't think this one will be much of a surprise to anyone, but – a Sanders. Um, that was a phenomenal interview, an interview where I was literally like fanboying out <laughs> over the interview. I mean, talking about all the great memories, all the returns and all the wins and all the big plays that he made. And a great dude as well. A Sanders, phenomenal interview, phenomenal conversation. Not to knock any of those. There were a ton of great interviews throughout the football season. Obviously, if you guys, you guys heard them all. But A Sanders, if you have not listened to that one, go back. Listen to it. It's the interview happened in like mid to early August, early to mid August, something like that. Great interview, though. I mean, phenomenal. Like anyone that watched South Carolina football during that time period, which I would assume would be all of you. I mean, we get to relive everything, uh, all the great memories, all the big plays, all, all, all those great teams. Phenomenal stuff. So, A. Sanders got to be the best guest of the 2019 football season. With that, that is going to wrap up the 2019 postseason award show so congratulations to all of our winners you get a pat on the back from me and a mention on this podcast other than that i can't really do anything for you because you're still in college and that would be illegal but either way no appreciate it um really really fun stuff to give out some postseason awards and really put a bow on the 2019 regular season for south carolina um all right let's move to some basketball talk south carolina men's basketball falling to houston 76 to 56. I was in the building for this game, guys. A a rough, rough, rough game. I talked about this obviously on social media in my post-game reaction, but definitely want to give you guys some thoughts here on the podcast as well. Um, Houston is a team shooting 50% from the field, 53% from three-point range. Meanwhile, South Carolina, 32% from the field, 24% from three-point range. Guys, first off, give a tip of the cap to the Houston Cougars, a very, very good basketball team. I mean, this, is, this was not – this was the biggest test South Carolina faced all year, but a very, very good basketball team. I mean, let's, let's not get that twisted. South Carolina did not lose to a dud on Sunday. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's getting old in the sense of 
South Carolina, I mean, I picked this team to go to the NCAA tournament. I did. I, I thought this team was loaded with good guard play. I thought they could navigate and, you know, figure it out as far as who's going to be their big guys they depend on down low and get just enough out of them. But I thought this was going to be a team the guards really shot the lights out. I, I really did. And, you know, Frank Martin even cited it after the game, saying that, um, you know, basically saying that their point guard play is, quote, awful. Said it was awful. And I would agree with him. I mean, right now it's just not good. I mean, you – you know, it, it, it sounds so simple and so easy, but the reason that South Carolina is not winning basketball games is it can't make shots. It just cannot make shots. You go one for ten in the second half from three-point range. Six for 25 overall. I mean, but you go one for ten – from three-point range in the second half. I mean, the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now with South Carolina is – and I'll tell you this, I'm shocked how bad we are on the defensive side of the floor. That, that's, that's surprising to me. Like, three-point shooters must love playing us because they get open looks, they make their open looks. Everybody has a good shooting day against us, it seems like. I mean, there's only been a couple of times this season where you could say the Gamecocks played lockdown defense. Um, and was it more was it more so that they played lockdown defense, or was it more so that the team we played just wasn't very good? Either way, though, um, it, you know, it's just what for whatever reason we're just not great defensively. We get caught up in the ball screens a lot. We leave guys open on the perimeter a lot. I mean, it happens all the time, and I don't understand why. Um, so you know, this this team's just got a lot to figure out, man. I mean, you with Houston, you started a three game stretch of non conference games that were going to be very tough to begin with. You had Houston, you go to Clemson, you go to Virginia. Um, going two and one in that stretch would have been pretty damn good. Now you are staring. I mean, one and two is probably the best case because I don't think you're going on the road and beating Virginia. I just I just don't see it. Um, you need to beat Clemson. I mean, it's it's been too long since South Carolina has beaten Clemson in basketball. I think we'd all agree with that. Um, especially when it's like Clemson's not a dominant program in basketball like they are football. I mean, this is a this is a program that yeah they went to the Sweet Sixteen one year, but I mean they're not great by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're South Carolina, I mean, I, what do you do from here? Where, where do you where do you go from here? Um, you know, it's just. I don't know. I really don't. Because, again, I, I, I'd, I will say this, and maybe this is just like a selfish thing. I'd love to see a guy like Trey Hannibal get on the floor more. I, I think if you're not going to be good shooting the basketball, at least bring a guy out there who's got some athleticism, a guy who, <clears throat> a guy who brings a ton of energy to the floor every time he's out there. I know he's a true freshman. But, I mean, overall, you just got guys out there right now that are just not getting the job done. Um, Mike, I mean, Mike Coates are leading you with 12 points. No offense. I like Mike Coates are, but he should not be leading you in points. AJ Lawson, only 10 points. He's got to be better. I mean, he, he, he's got to be better. No question. He's got to be better. Justin Minaya, only seven. Jair Bolden, seven. TJ Moss, seven. Um, this entire, I mean, this, this entire team's got to be better. They know that. But I guess it's just so disappointing as a Gamecock fan. I know for all of you out there as well that like we get we get you know we get hype about this team. And it's like we're playing ourselves out of the NCAA tournament before we even get to conference play. Like no matter what we do in conference play, unless we win the damn SEC, we're not going to make the NCAA tournament. It's just you know, and, and I don't know. You know, I'll tell you this because a lot of people are asking. You know, what are your thoughts on Frank Martin? Are you going to go on a Frank Martin tirade? 
you're probably not going to hear me go on a front fire Frank Martin tirade like I did with Coach Muschamp because I'll be completely honest with you guys. I like Frank Martin. I think he's a solid basketball coach. I don't think he's a great basketball coach. I think he's a solid basketball coach. So we could do much worse. We have done much worse in the past. He's a solid basketball coach, though. You know? I mean, he's a solid coach, no question. But I said it before, is this year NCAA tournament or bust? If South Carolina doesn't make the postseason at all this year, let's just say that, not even the NCAA tournament. If you don't make the NIT with all the hype around this team and the talent that you have on this team, it's going to be hard for me to convince that you should, you should bring him back. I mean, I, again, I like Frank Martin, but, you know, I, this team can't make shots. I mean, it's, and again, you watch this team, and it's so painfully obvious to see. And, and again, that's the biggest thing is that right now, when, when, when the teams we play, when they get open, they hit their threes. They hit them. They hit open shots. We're not even hitting – I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times how many bricks I've seen on an open three-pointer. You, you have to make those. You, you, you cannot not make those. You've got to convert those. I don't know what – like, I don't think that's a coaching thing. I just think that's a simply not hitting the shot thing. Like, I, I don't know – I don't know what could be the disconnect there. You know, I mean, you're not going to make them all. Granted, you're not going to make them all, but when you play in a game, like when you get open, you got to hit it. I mean, you just, you got to take advantage. I mean, like there's only so many times you can miss out on a look like that and get away with it. And I think that's what you're seeing right now with South Carolina is just, I mean, the teams they're playing are hitting their shots. We're just not. I mean, that sounds so simple. It's super simplified, but it's true. It's true. We're, we're just, we're just not hitting our shots right now. So, you know, I, I don't know. South Carolina obviously got a week where they play the next game at Clemson, which will be a big one. I, I don't know where you necessarily go from here. I don't know what the steps are. If, if I don't think – I don't really think there needs to be like a lineup change or anything. I just think they got to play better. I mean, it's just – there's no other way to put it. They've got to play better. Um, I think a guy like A.J. Lawson really needs to take it upon himself to be sort of like the leader and be a guy that, again, carries this basketball team. Because he needs to be a 20-a-night guy. I mean – for this team to have any type of success, he needs to be that dude. 20 points a night. I mean, I really think that's the type of guy this entire team, this entire offense needs to run through him. He's got to play better. He's got to be better, no question. So, again, Gamecocks falling to 6-4, and 20-point loss to Houston. How do you rebound? Because, again, I, I just, you know, I know the rivalry's not quite as heated or deep in basketball as it is in football, obviously, but another loss to Clemson is not going to sit well with uh, – <clears throat> with this fan base and with, with the supporters of Gamecock basketball. I, I just, I, you know, again, you know, I know it's not like football. It's not, you know, it's, it's not as deep. The rivalry, I guess, is not as passionate, if you will, because, I mean, football's king, right, in the South. But the Gamecocks need to get on the right side of this rivalry in the basketball series as well. So excited about that. I think I'm actually going to that game, so we'll have a full breakdown, full coverage of that game. But South Carolina, just looking for answers. Got to find answers. Um, all right, let's move into some football talk again, and then we'll get into your listener questions, kind of wrap everything up, get into our interview. Um, I do want to touch on this. I know a lot of you are probably wondering, why is this not the focal point of the show? I'm going to wait until the announcement's official on Tuesday is what they're expecting. But from everything we heard over the weekend, it sounded like Mike Bobo appeared to be named the Gamecocks offensive coordinator, former Georgia OC and Colorado State head coach recently. Um, sounds like he's going to be named the OC. It sounds like from everything I've heard, they have a deal in place. They've got to finalize everything with the Board of Trustees on Tuesday. But barring some late change, which, again, 
Once he officially signs the documents, get the paper. So it'll probably be Wednesday's show. I will go in full detail. We'll break everything down, Mike Bobo. I might even bring Alex McGrath back on the show and see if he wants to talk Bobo, uh, break down kind of his scheme, stuff like that. But I do want to give my quick thoughts because a lot of you have been asking me, and I talked about this on YouTube Live on Friday, I think it was, because or no, Thursday, because he was kind of the hot name at that point. He was sort of the guy that you felt like South Carolina was probably going to get at that point. But I want to give some quick thoughts. Some pros, some cons, just my feelings on it. First things first, many of you are asking, you know, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? I'll put it to you this way. We could do a lot worse. We really could. I mean, is he the best hire in the world? Maybe not, but we could do a lot worse. He is a name. He's a guy that when you take a look at the pros of Mike Bobo, um, number one, he's developed quarterbacks. You know, you look at Georgia, he had he developed Matthew Stafford, David Green, Aaron Murray, like a dude who is a proven track record with quarterbacks, no questions asked. So there's that. Um, and I think he could do really, really well with a Ryan Helinski. Hell, with a Luke Doty maybe, with a Dak Joyner maybe. But definitely a Ryan Helinski. That's more of the prototypical pocket passer what he worked with at Georgia. But period, point blank, he develops quarterbacks. Number two, and it's funny, this is almost like a pro anacon and I'll explain what I mean in just a second, but he's got a proven system that works. He, he, he is proven. Granted, it was at Georgia. And I know a lot of people's argument is you can't run that system at South Carolina. We don't have the talent Georgia has. I agree, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. But if nothing else, Mike Bobo is a guy that comes in. He's not an experienced play caller like Brian McClendon was. He's a guy that has coached offenses that scored 40 points per game. I mean, he in Athens, I forget how many years he was there. It was like seven or eight, but there was only one season they did not score 30 points per game. So he's proven. This is a proven commodity. Mike Bobo is not a guy that is an ex- inexperienced, a guy that's never done this before. He is an experienced season play caller. Now, again, it did not work out at Colorado State, him being a head coach. Some guys are meant to be coordinators. Just bottom line. That just, you know, it is what it is. But – he is proven. So you have those things going for you. Now, as far as the cons are concerned, I talked about his system. I think it can be looked at as a con that his system is the pro style. Now, I think the biggest thing is how, to, how does Mike Bobo adapt his scheme and what he wants to do to the personnel South Carolina has available? Because I'll be honest with you, after talking with some people and just kind of thinking about this, you know, I think a lot of people have the opinion that South Carolina, to win at South Carolina, you need a mobile quarterback. You need to run spread like South Carolina did with Connor Shaw. Like, you need to have a mobile quarterback. And I don't think that's a bad point. Like, I, I, I when, are, when has South Carolina, in your opinion, ever had the talent to just drop back and pick defenses apart and be a true pro-style team? So, again, if you can make it work, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it. But you've got you've, you've to implement – Whatever scheme is going to bring out, bring the most out of your guys. Because you can't fit a square peg in a round hole, right? Like you can't make, you can't run a certain type of offense with guys who cannot run that offense, period. You, you just, you got to have the personnel. Mike Bobo, I think it's got to be willing to be flexible. Again, I don't know, you know, what exactly the scheme is going to be. I'm sure that's something we're going to find out a lot more when he's officially introduced. Um, and I know that's something he will be asked, but. That can be looked at as a con for sure. It's just the scheme that he runs. The other con, the other con for me, um, you know, you're splitting hairs here, but this hire was so typical, or as long as it's confirmed Tuesday to be official, it's just so typical. You know, hiring another Georgia guy, you know, 
one of Muschamp's buddies. The, my favorite joke of the week last week was a guy basically putting out that Will Muschamp does not use a phone or the internet and only hires guys based on does he have their business cards or not, which I, I thought was hysterical. Um, hysterical. Because, again, it just feels so typical. Like, And, again, I'm not saying that it was a bad hire. Like, I, I don't want people to get confused. I'm not going to be someone who goes on social media bashing Mike Bobo. I, I think Bobo obviously is a quality coach. He got a head coaching job. He's, he's a quality football coach. You know, he's, I think he's certainly an upgrade from Brian McClendon, no matter how you slice it. I mean, you're talking about a guy coming in with a ton of experience versus a guy like McClendon who had none. So, I mean, best OC that Muschamp's probably ever had. I'll be honest with you. And I know that bar is not very high, but, you know, my question is more so, and this, this is just kind of looking ahead, you know, very far to the 2020 season. I think you guys know at this point, my concerns center around, they center around Will Muschamp and will he relinquish power in the offense? And, you know, maybe I'm not a hundred percent sold that anything will change offensively. I, I, I think you guys don't understand my feelings on where the problem starts and it isn't with Mike Bobo. Uh, we'll put it that way. But you could have done much worse, but it's just like it's such a typical hire, like another Georgia guy. Like it's so funny. You know, I'm sure you guys saw this on social media late last week. <clears throat> There's some people on social media that love to give me give me crap because I'm not a South Carolina alumni, and I do this this podcast, obviously. I know it's a little different, but do you realize our entire coaching staff is like Georgia alums? I mean, it's just – you know, it's – Will Muschamp, I think, for the longest time has coached in the buddy-buddy system. I think a lot of people feel that way. And for him to kind of just go hire another one of his buddies, a guy he played with, and, you know, they both went to Georgia. And it's just like a little bit of an unimaginative hire. Again, was he the best available? You know, maybe. I know Chad Morris was out there too, but you didn't want to bring in his son who's a four-star quarterback or whatever it is. Um, I don't think Bobo's a bad hire. I think you could have done much, much worse. Again, there are pros and cons to everything. But I'll break it down even further once he officially gets the job. But when you ask me how do I feel about Bobo, solid hire. I mean, we will see what happens. Again, I'm more so still concerned about Will Muschamp being the head coach. Um, You know, how much can really change, you know what I mean? Will be very interesting, though, because, again, I think the best OC Muschamp's ever had during his tenure. So we will see. We will see what happens. Um, some news and notes to get into really quickly, and we'll get in your listener questions in the interview. Um, Jordan Cardi, offensive lineman in the transfer portal, not surprising at all, was on campus for three years and did not play. Um, so Gamecocks losing some depth on the offensive line, but should be okay, though. Again, Cardi, a guy that did not play at all for South Carolina. Um, and then one other thing to touch on really, really quickly. I know this happened last week, but as you guys know, um, <clears throat> with the technical difficulties, did not uh, – did not get to talk about it with you guys on the podcast. Did go on YouTube Live and talk about it, but uh, or excuse me, on Periscope and talk about it. But uh, the Ryan Holinsky injury saga <laughs> finally coming to an end. I don't want to spend more than a couple of seconds on this because I think we got uh, we probably all got very sick of it last week. But uh, Mark Holinsky making the comments he made that finally coming to an end. You know, best wishes to Ryan Holinsky a speedy recovery. They said he should be good to go by. Uh, Winter workouts in January, which is actually very surprising. Um, but four to six weeks, what it sounds like, he will be out, but he should be good to go, thankfully. So, glad that's over. Let's just put it that way. I'm glad that's over. Um, all right, cool. Let's get into some listener questions here. No voicemails, but we'll get straight into listener questions. We will start with Bennett.Blackman. Who is the best offensive coordinator we could get, and are they a good fit? Well, obviously, it looks like Bobo's going to get the job. But when you take a look at the candidates, I thought Chad Morris was going to be your guy. Um, 
I know the thing with his son, wanted to bring his son in. I thought he was going to be the guy. I don't think Bobo's a bad hire. Maybe he's one notch below Morris. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think you could have done a lot worse than you're going to do with Mike Bobo for sure. Um, Andrew underscore the underscore textbook. Who do you think the new strength and conditioning coach will be? I'll be honest with you. I have no clue. I've heard rumors of a guy from, uh, from Ole Miss might be coming over. That, that could be a thing. I don't know who the new strength and conditioning coach is going to be, though. I will say this. I would love to get some former players back on the staff in regards to, like, bro, Shaq Wilson, Shaq Wilson and Byron Gerardo are literally on the strength staff at Tennessee. Why can't we bring them home? Like, I would love to see it. Will it happen? Probably not, but I would love to see it. Um, Tyler underscore Trevino 15, early predictions for next football season. As you guys probably saw after Clemson, obviously I put my way too early predictions, and I had us at 4-8 and eight with a loss to East Carolina. I mean, realistically, right now, gun to head, you're asking what the prediction for next season is. I say five and seven. I, I just I, – I'm I, – and I'm going to tell you guys this. I'm an optimistic fan. I'm an optimistic Gamecock. I'm, not, I, I'm an optimistic and positive human being. You will not see me overhype us next year. It is going, it's going to be a prove-it-to-me year. It really is. I, I'm, you're not going to see me as being the guy that's picking South Carolina to win seven or eight games next year. I, I want to I see it before I believe it, if that makes sense. Um, let's see. Landon underscore Camham, will the Gamecocks ever get national championships in football and hire good? I certainly hope so, man. I, I, I certainly, certainly, certainly hope so. Uh, Judd Rupp, is linebacker still our biggest depth or biggest need next year for depth? Um, you know, going into next year, I, I think the question's more so center around the defensive front. Um, I mean, I, a linebacker will certainly, certainly be – it's crazy. Linebacker's a question every year, I feel like. Like, we, for whatever reason, have not recruited great there. So, you do have Ernest Jones coming back to lead that group, but they will certainly be a question mark. But how do you replace guys like DJ Wanham and Javon Kinlaw? I mean, that, that to me, is going to be the biggest question. That, that, to me, is going to be a very, very big question, is just how do you replace those guys on the defensive front? But certainly, certainly linebacker um, – Certainly, linebacker will be an area that we need all need to keep need to keep a very close eye on. Um, last question here, Hunter Teams. How do you feel about the new OC hire, good or bad? I feel fine about it. Like I'm not out here saying like, oh, Mike Bobo is going to change everything. We're going to be a juggernaut offensively. Like I'm also not saying we're going to be terrible. Like I, I don't know. I mean, it's I feel okay about it. I think it's a solid hire. I don't think it's a great hire. I mean, I think it's a good hire. That's it. I'm not like upset he got the job, but. I'm in wait-and-see mode. Again, this is a Will Muschamp team. Will he relinquish offensive control, I guess, and let this offense flourish? I, that, that, to me, is the biggest question there. Um, all right, got a fantastic interview. Former Gamecock Spurs, Sherrod Golightly. Sherrod on the team during our glory years, 2010 to 2014. Phenomenal conversation. We talk about everything from winning the SEC East, uh, him being a second-team All-SEC player in 2013, all the great wins, all the great memories, um, current day South Carolina football, literally everything. So phenomenal interview. You guys stay tuned for that. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that I recommend, guys. Whatever you need your tickets to, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything, guys. If you need any tickets to South Carolina basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy club events, NFL, NHL, NBA, uh, MLB. Does not matter what you need your tickets to. SeatGeek's got it there for you. They've got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. 
So you're always going to have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. It's always going to be super simple, super easy. They've really changed the way that you buy tickets. And again, they're going to make sure you get the best bang for your buck and make the process super simple and super easy when you're buying your tickets. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks football player, Sherrod Golightly. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2010 to 2014. During his South Carolina career, he finished with 114 total tackles, 14 and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, an interception, two fumble recoveries, was actually named second team All-SEC in 2013 by the Associated Press and was obviously a key member on some of the best teams in South Carolina football history. Very pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks Spur, Sherrod Golightly. Sherrod, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure having you on. Man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So, sure. I, I want to go back to the beginning for you. Obviously, you're a kid out of the uh, out of Decatur, Georgia. Um, came into South Carolina at an interesting time in the sense when Steve Spurrier was really getting it rolling. Obviously, again, you get there in 2010 in red shirt. But just t- take me back to the beginning. You're in high school. Obviously, a highly sought after recruit. What was the recruiting process like for you, and what eventually led you to choose South Carolina? The process was, was cool, man. I was really excited coming out of uh, Decatur, going to different places across the South and even outside the South to uh, just try to see how far this football, this game of football could take me. But um, just running into a recruiter, not a recruiter, but a defense coordinator, uh, Lorenzo Ward, he played mm-hmm. a huge role in helping, uh, helping me kind of build a bridge between Decatur and Columbia. And um, he helped me see the the, uh, the strong future that we had. And I knew with the name that Coach Ferrier had, we can pull some other guys that had the same type of uh, uh, plans that I had to kind of make a change. Mm-hmm. You know, just uplift the program and show how great we are. No, for sure. I, like I said, it, you got there at an interesting time in the sense that, I mean, the second you get there, you know, 2010 on was the start of the run of, you know, you go to the SEC championship, go to Atlanta, you know, three straight 11-win seasons. You know, I, like I said, you redshirted in 2010, but when you got there on campus, could you – because I, I think we saw some glimpses of it in 2009, you know, towards the end of the season. That was the first of five in a row against Clemson. I think that got, that got everybody fired up, obviously. But what was the – I guess the mood like when you got on campus? Like, I'd imagine you you had a good feeling that South Carolina was really on the, uh, on the cusp of some really big things to come. When I got there, I knew – well, at least coming from where I came from, I, I left with a winning tradition. Mm-hmm. And I know when I got there, the people, the class 2010 specifically, me, Marcus Lattimore, Nick Jones, Dylan mm-hmm. Thompson, Connor Shaw, we all kind of came in that first month in June. And I know we kind of had that same look in our eye that uh, it was a new, it was a new day in Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I just knew uh, with that winning mentality, it doesn't matter what happened before us. The, the you know, the, uh, the history starts now. So we had that same mentality moving forward with the next three to four years. No doubt. So you talked about Steve Spurrier, obviously legendary head coach, Lorenzo Ward. Uh, let's stick with Spurrier specifically, though. What just I know that every player that played for him, I feel like, has kind of a different uh, relationship, if you will, especially with you being a defensive guy. I know obviously he, he stuck on his side of the room with, with the offense. But uh, what, was the, what were the first interactions with Steve Spurrier like for you? Um, what I love is his honesty. Um, I always loved honesty, uh, even however it came off. As long as you got the message across, um, he 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 says what he says what he means, and he has expectations. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that I think we had that was in common was a winning a winning mentality. Um, I think uh, if you want to win, you'll do whatever it takes, 
and the preparation was always in place to make sure that we kind of performed at our best abilities. And that's one thing I can't take away. And I'm so thankful that um that he kind of uh, exposed us to that type of uh that that type of uh, regiment and consistency and tradition because he he brought that with him. Yeah. And um I think we just uh were people to kind of help uh expose that 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 winning mentality from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sherrod, I'm just taking a look here at the stats. You know, your your career is really interesting in the sense that, you know, your first two years at Carolina um, <clears throat> on the field, 2011 and 12, you had 10 total tackles in those two seasons, so didn't play a bunch. You break out in 2013, like I said at the beginning of the show, your second team All-SEC, you jump from 10 total tackles those first two seasons to 47 total tackles, six tackles for loss, uh, one and a half sacks. You had two fumble recoveries in 2013 as well. I mean, do you attribute that to just getting more opportunities or, like, what changed in your game that led you to kind of that breakout 2013 year? It's opportunity, man. Opportunity. I think the first two years, I had to, you know, you got to learn to be a follower first, and then you'll become a leader. You'll learn how to become a strong leader. So my first two years, I was behind Devontae Holloman and uh, Antonio Allen, and those two actually gave me the the know-how and just, just to see them do what I know I could do. So just seeing them, seeing this believing, and with them giving me, you know, the uh, all the encouragement to move forward, as being especially being smaller in the position, um, I knew when I got out there, uh, my talent would, would show. For sure, you know, it, it's crazy. Again, I'm, I'm looking just again the years that you were there, and I mean, just when you were there. I mean, there are so many games, moments, accomplishments you guys got. Like, it's almost too many to name. We could talk about the streak against Clemson. We could talk about the SEC title. We could talk about beating Georgia. Just everybody. I mean, it just – obviously, you were there at the peak of South Carolina football. Is there one moment for you that you guys accomplished as a team that, that stands out? Because, again, they were just – from that 2010 to 2013 13 span, I mean, you guys accomplished everything. I mean, what, but is there one thing for you that stands out that you guys accomplished as a team during your time there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it was so many, like you said, all of them that rang a bell in my mind. But I knew that we grew up a lot. And from a standpoint, when I was an actual senior captain going into the 2014 year, mm. and we played we played University of Florida at Florida, and I knew how bad Coach Spurrier wanted that win. Mm. And I know how bad I wanted that win, at least leaving, leaving out of South Carolina. And we had a strong record against them my first three years. I just kind of wanted to leave with that bang. It went to two overtimes. I think <laughs> I think it went to overtime or two mm-hmm. overtimes. And I just remember our D line being so young, and they were giving us so much flack about how or how inexperienced they were, and they grew up so much for that game. Bryson Allen Williams had a, a breakout game, and he's like one of my hometown little brothers. Mm-hmm. So when he came out and did his thing, and, and you know I had a strong game as well in, in overtime, and I just thought that was a a a, a, real, a real win that that we use our will to get over. And I, I, and that would show me the strength of football. One, That's one of those games that show you the strength of teamwork, the strength of uh, just, you know, coming together for a common goal. And, and then it's always great to win in Florida. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's always a blessing to kind of to try, to try to make some type of tradition that's, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that. Really ignoring. That was the uh, the Carlton Hurd block punt game. Uh, very, very, yeah. very vividly remember. It's kind of ironic because I think everybody sort of agrees <clears throat> that's the uh, that's the game that got Will Muschamp fired. Now, ironically, he's our head coach. So, I mean, it's uh, kind of it's, it's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, kind of interesting. So, but uh, so I, I do want to go back. Let's talk about the Carolina Clemson rivalry because again, you were there. You know, the best teams ever at South Carolina, and you guys obviously had a ton of success against Clemson. You were there for the four. Four of the five 
or the last four of the five-game winning streak against Clemson. You being a guy coming from out of state, though, how quickly did it click for you just how big of a game it was? Because I know it's, it's a little bit different of a dynamic coming from out of state, but mm-hmm. how quickly did it click for you just how big of a game that is? Um, it, I, ain't, I can't lie. It took, a, it took a minute for it to really hit me, hit me. Um, when I first got to Carolina, I knew it was a rivalry game, and I knew how important it was to our fans. But like I said, from our mentality, it was just somebody next on the schedule. Mm. You know, I feel like everybody in the, in the SEC is a rivalry game, you know, mm. and they just somebody who got to not play in our conference and that we had to meet at the end to show them um, our worth, you know, and show them it's a new day in South Carolina, or at least in that time space. And like I said, just moving forward, going into my third and fourth year, that's when I started to feel the real weight of it. And I just started to see to seeing the difference um, what with our teams and what was going on in the past, and even in retrospect, looking at the looking at the the, the recent past, mm. what we had as a uh, as a strong as a strong point was a was a mentality, and that mentality just like like I was watching this Patriots game. It doesn't matter who's on the schedule; it's next up. And um, if you prep, you prepare the right way, um, you should you should come out with uh, great results. For sure. Is there is there one? Because again, there's so many good memories when you were there against Clemson. I mean, is there is there one game, one specific moment that kind of sticks out for you in the Carolina Clemson rivalry for you personally? I mean, because again, you, you you saw it all. I mean, you go up there in 2010 mm-hmm. and beat the hell out of them, and you know, you just wrap it up with 2013, holding up the five, getting that fifth straight win. I mean, but is is there one thing for I guess you personally that stands out in the uh, your time as a player during Carolina Clemson? Um, my biggest uh. <sighs> Me personally, when it, my I started my last year started mm. 2013, my last year, my, the last year we won against Clemson in 2013. That was a huge win. I got to actually be on the field, experience mm. it all, cover Sammy Watkins, uh, watch Connor Shaw just be amazing, watch my boy Bruce Ellison, <laughs> my brother, but see him just take this flourish. Like I couldn't believe how great he was that year. It was mm. a great year for him. But um, I think outside of me though, I think that year we went to. Uh, to Clemson, and DJ Swearinger hit uh, Andre Ellison, and and I don't think we know like the backstory because the backstory was just you know because we know Bruce and Bruce was just telling us how much you know they thought they or well, they knew that they had to beat us because mm-hmm. it was just it, they were getting off to that tradition of, of winning right. against us, so they really wanted that, especially being at home, and and I just think that hit epitomized that entire five year period. Like I just, it just, just it, it let them know when when DJ got there because I'm like attitude reflect leadership, and mm-hmm. when, and when DJ got there the year before us, I knew that that type of mentality that was something I wanted to to be a part of, and that's why it was easy to kind of jump on board and just add to that that greatness. And I remember coming out 2010 going into 2011, we had at least about 11 to 15 kids coming from the Georgia area. And I remember telling them, like, y'all got to come to South Carolina, man. You got to see what's going on. <laughs> I just remember how important that recruiting pitch was. And I know that hit specifically showed them that the, our conference is different, our football is different, and it's, it's, it's a different time. And they're going to have to mm-hmm. respect it. And, you know, and, and it was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. I I, uh, I got to ask now, since we're talking about uh, DJ Swearinger, is there one story for him that, like, sticks out for you because I've kind of seen some former players kind of going back and forth about it on social media about you know we've all seen the video of uh Clemson and warm-ups and DJ comes up swats the ball away and like 
you know, I've heard a story of him in the Michigan game as well and like pregame and stuff like that. Like, is there uh, mm-hmm. any any DJ Swearinger memory that you can tell in the airwaves that's like your favorite that sticks out? Because, again, I feel like there's just so many stories with just his, it is. his savagery. It is. You know what dude, I mean? <laughs> dude is a warrior, man. Hey, he's a straight warrior. And and if and if you if you really love the game, you'll love you'll love everything about him. Mm. Especially if he's on your side. And mm. it's just I, I just love the uh he he didn't care. He didn't care who we were going against. And he had that underdog mentality. DJ didn't come in like Stephon. He wasn't five star. He wasn't all that. But he he demanded his respect, play mm. by play, play by play. And that's what we try to do game by game, you know, from a micro to a macro. It is demanding respect by full preparation, you know what I'm saying, and and, and, and a, a physical mentality. And he made sure that we came out though with that. And if we didn't, he called us out. And I remember we <laughs> left. He we left and came back. And he was asking, "What's going on, man? These games too close. These games too close." Like, hey, you're right. You're right. Let me go out here and have a conversation. <laughs> and then we'll we'll talk and we'll get it get it back going. But man, his leadership is priceless, man. I I, t- I tell him that. I told him that this year. I still keep in close contact with him man I, I'm, I'm so proud of him I, I just know how, how hard he works and mm-hmm. his, like his preparation got him to where he is man. and there's nothing uh there's nothing about his effort um that didn't seep through the entire team eventually between him Stefan Alshon mm-hmm. uh Connor Shaw Marcus you know it, it all starts with the leadership so yeah, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned DJ, but you also mentioned Stephon Gilmore, and you played with the likes, you know, Jadavion Clowney, Devin Taylor. I mean, you guys had to know how good you were, right, as far as defensively. Because, I mean, you look at you look at those defenses, um, and we can, you know, we can have the debate of which one was the best defense on another show, I'm sure. But you look at all – I mean, starting in 2010, but then 11, 12, 13, like you look at those defenses – I mean, you just look at the guys on those that those that the, the two deep. I mean, look at how many guys are in the NFL balling out too, not just playing, but I mean, balling, yeah, Melvin, yeah. yeah, balling out. Melvin Ingram doing big things. Clowney's doing big things. You know, pretty much every Gamecock in the NFL, I feel like, is doing very big things. But um, I mean, how, how much that had to be just a lot of fun though, because I mean, you you guys knew you were a dominant unit, especially. I mean, I just think to 2013, it's just you know, beating Clemson in, you know, or 2012, you know, Jadavion Clowney, four and a half sacks, which I think he still holds the, the Clemson record for most sacks in a game at that building. I mean, how much, wow. how much fun was it for, for you, you know, just being a part of that, a, a part of those dominant defenses where, again, I, I feel like you guys knew what you had. You knew how good you were. Yeah, I think every year it got, it got stronger. Mm-hmm. I think because we knew how close we were how close we were. And even the little mishaps we did have within the, the year, I think uh, when we tripped up against a, a Tennessee on a bad year, or when we tripped up against uh, Auburn, when we, uh, an Auburn team that we should have beat, I think, in 2012 or 13. But whatever we tripped up and when we kind of fell short, we always kind of picked the ball up where, that, where, where we left off. And like I said, like it, it all starts with leadership. And I think we knew. We knew what we had, but I don't think we – I don't think it all just really sank in. I just think we knew if we did our job, everybody will eat. Every everybody will win. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if we go out here and perform the way we know we should or know we can, and we come out here with a winning mentality and we prepare, I think uh, everybody should have that that uh that opportunity to take their talents to the next level, man. And, and it's such a cool thing to tell people who you play with. Like mm-hmm. I'm telling you, like it's just going around, just and it's it's such a high respect for their 
for the uh that output as far as production, but they don't understand what they put into it to make that happen. And that's why I, that's my respect level is so high for so many. For sure. You know, you, you kind of talked about the DJ Swearinger, the guy that plays with that chip on his shoulder. I, I feel like, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm curious to get your take on this, but your playing style, I, I feel like you could describe yourself very similarly as well, because a guy that um, maybe like size-wise, you weren't the typical spur, if you will, like as far as just size, but you, you played bigger, if that makes sense. Like you just played with an edge. I mean, how, how would you describe your playing style to people? Yeah, man. I, I When I came in, I was going in as a as a boundary safety, a strong safety. Mm-hmm. And when I first came in behind, uh, I think, uh, Bryson Williams, and I was behind uh, DJ, mm-hmm. and I was trying to just figure out what working on the hashes. And when I came out of high school, I was always in the box. That was like my my second nature for me to be in the physical, in the physical, in the physical, in the trenches. I was used to the trenches. So when I actually Got an opportunity. Well, I told Coach Ward, this is a little small story, but 2012, uh, I think we were getting ready for Auburn game. I, mm-hmm. I was like, Coach Ward, I, I want to play free. I want to play safety, man. I'm trying to get on the field. You just got to give me a shot. <laughs> he was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. So I want to go talk to AD, to AD, uh, Corey, I'm oh, not Corey, I said, um, dang, he was GA. He was our GA at the time. But I went over to him. I was like, what do you think I should do? to get on this field more. He was like, man, I think you should play spur linebacker, bro. I was like, why you think that? He was like, that what you played in high school. It's your natural position. And you still do, you work on covering and get better every day. But you're going to have to wait in line. You got Antonio Allen in the front lane. You got Demario Jeffrey. And you got uh, Devontae Holliman. So you got to wait for turn. But take a, take a year to learn. And that was that year. Going in the rest of that year, I, I tried to master my craft as far as the mental side of it. And when I actually got a chance to get on the field to show the physical, it, it, it all manifested itself, man. Mm-hmm. And, and I always knew that I had a, 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 a mind a mind strong enough to uh, to overcome anything. And when I got on that field, it was an opportunity to show how how great I could be in in, in the spaces I was I was strong at, and and it, and it kind of showed itself. And like I said, opportunity is everything, though. You earn that opportunity with with a great spring, with a strong winner. With a strong, we you know, with a strong camp, all those things were momentum that built into it. So, so that's why, like, like I said, just going through that college process, learning how to do it the right way, uh, with the people I learned it from, it's mm. priceless. It's priceless, and that chip on the shoulder, I think everybody should have one. Mm. I don't know, if you got to make one up, but <laughs> it, it'll keep it'll keep the accountability high, mm. and it'll keep you focused on uh, what what the goals are. No doubt. So I, I want to talk about, get your thoughts really quickly on, I, I would say your first really big impact play that you made at South Carolina that I can vividly remember is the fumble recovery against Mississippi State. Um, and I, it's funny, that that game, I, I was at that game actually, but that, that game was pretty close. That was a big play in that game. Um, just talk about for you personally, again, just you get the opportunity in 2013 is a great season, but to have that play, and you had two fumble recoveries that year, one against Mississippi State and one against coastal carolina but that first big play i mean what, what was the rush of emotions like for you when you made that play that play that was a a, a really big game actually I, mm. I think um we played Dak prescott yeah that was prescott his, like, yeah. coming out yeah that, that, his uh coming out party uh mississippi state had a really physical team that year and that was one of our younger years mm. we had a lot of seniors leave out and that was a year i kind of had to step up as a leader and you know me clowny uh we had um I think I think we had Scott Moore at linebacker. 
Mm-hmm. I know we had a uh, couple other couple other strong players out there, but we just made sure that we try to keep it physical. But that play specifically, I think, helped uh, build the momentum for a strong season for me uh, at least, because I know um, it kind of got a lot of people paying attention to the you know the effort play because it really was an effort play. Uh, I think about that whole spring where I told myself I'm going to run to the ball every day. I don't care the ball goes to the cooler. I'm going to the cooler to go get the ball. Like, and, and that type of mentality going through pass skill inside, it paid off when, in, during the season. In the right place, the right time. They keep the rat, hit the man, and I picked the ball up, and then, and then the rest is history. But the first play that I believe that kind of just, you know, it kind of really opened my eyes. I know I could play on this level was against Florida 2012. Mm-hmm. We played Florida at South Carolina. It was a, a third and it was a third and four. I think they had Jeff Dempsey in the backfield, and they had a smoke package where they put me in as like a, a edge rusher because, like I said, that's something I did in high school coming off the edge it was like a, a like second nature to me. Uh, when Dempsey came off a sweep, I got him in the backfield for a three yard loss, and they ended up having to kick a field goal, but missed the field goal. And we ended up winning by like four or five mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Really, really close game. But i never forget, Coach Furrier called me that next week. He was like, go lightly. I don't think you understand. That was a huge play, man. And, you know, and, and when he said that against Florida, I knew the weight. I knew the weight <laughs> of it, you know, being a sophomore, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know all these other big plays going on all game. You got Tony O going crazy. You got DJ going crazy. For him to pay attention to that one play kind of showed me, man, every everything counts, you know, and always be prepared to make the best out of a situation. For sure. So I, I want to talk about current day South Carolina football, Sherrod, but first I want to ask you just kind of just straight up, going from 2013 to 2014, I know the 2014 season did not go the way that you guys wanted to, especially defensively. What, what if anything, can you point to? Is there – one specific thing you would point to and say that this was missing from the 2014 team? Because obviously you had to replace a ton. I mean, Clowney left. A, a bunch of guys were gone off that 2013 team. And obviously, again, you guys were a top-10 team, ton of hype going in the season. Obviously, the Texas A&M game happens, and it sort of changes the outlook of the 2014 season. But, I mean, what to you, if there's anything, I guess, but what to you was like the thing that was missing that you feel like kind of held you guys back in 2014? D DBs love a pass rush. <laughs> That's the only thing that we were missing. We very we were very young up front on the edges, mm-hmm. and then we were very young on the back end. So that 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 equates to a lot of points mm-hmm. in bad moments. And we were a lot of, we had a lot of opportun- we had a lot of opportunities to win games, and it was just t- towards the end, um, for whatever reasons that uh, mentally mentally mental lapses, we would kind of give up a lot of stuff. Mm. And like I said, I think every every good thing comes to an end. Every and every and every game that we did win, we could have lost. And a lot of games we won, we, we a lot of games we lost, we could have won, and vice mm. versa. But I just think it showed me how how grateful you should be for everything. Like mm. that was that one. Like 2014 was a year that kind of just broke, showed me how special those other years were. Mm. And 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 moving forward, it showed me the leadership it takes. You know, to bring some 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 cats who don't understand, who might not understand the way we do things. That's that 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 showed me the the importance of every step throughout the year. You know, mm-hmm. so well, I don't think about like I said, winter workout, spring spring training, and you got uh you know your, your fall camp. 
Mm-hmm. All of those things added to having a strong season. And and being a fifth year senior, I, I was able to see the good, the bad and the ugly. And it was it was great retrospect, man. I think I think I was on me and a couple I think maybe Nick Jones and J T Surratt and maybe mm-hmm. Dylan. I think we probably only a couple of people that can really seen the the beginning of it and seen the end of it. Uh, as right. far as just being really special. So like I, I, I take nothing for granted and I know every slip does count in those in those tight games, man, a pass rush is everything. <laughs> a pass rush is everything, man. You take for granted Devin Taylor, you take for granted uh Travian Roberson. you take you take for granted, you know, Cliff Matthews, people like that. So it's just <laughs> when it when 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 you kinda get back to like, you know, back to earth, you know, again, you know, with more more uh more fundamental people. Mm. Uh, you got to kind of just roll with the punches, but I think I think we learned a lot from that year, man. I think a lot of people learned a lot from that year, mm. and um, it was, it, I, 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 I'm I'm thankful because it was an opportunity for me to be a captain, a senior right. captain. Like I said, I was a red shirt freshman, you know, coming from Decatur, you know, Decatur, Georgia, and and now I'm a senior captain at the University of South Carolina, and we just came in preseason top ten off the work that we earned before, so it was just. Uh, I I was uh, really thankful for everything, but if it was one thing that I knew we could, if we had more experience at, mm-hmm. if we had more experience at pass rush, I know that season could have been at least a uh, nine ten win season. That's mm-hmm. in my mind. In my yeah, mind. no doubt. Now there's a lot of close losses that 2014 year. Um, all right, let let's move into current day South Carolina football. Obviously, somebody as you, I'm really curious to get your take on. Because being a proud alum that you are, you've seen this program at its absolute best. You've seen it slip up a couple of times, like you mentioned. But right now, it is a very interesting time to be a Gamecock fan. I think I speak for most Gamecock fans when I say that. You know, you're coming off of a four and eight season. Your coach is facing a lot of scrutiny. Obviously, he's going to be back next season. But when you take a look at this program under Will Muschamp, just kind of give your overall thoughts, your perspective on the program, and I guess the direction it's heading under Will Muschamp. Um, one thing I, I love that we are physical. Um, that's one thing that I can say. From the point of attack, we have been, we are we have been more physical than we have been in the past. Um, I like I love the the recruiting. The recruiting mm-hmm. is very very strong. I think we're getting some top athletes, especially from uh, uh the the Georgia area. I, mm-hmm. I know a couple of kids that that are on the team now, the current roster. But I think it's just um we just got to tighten up. On big, on, in bigger moments, we need to play bigger, and mm-hmm. I, and, and I don't know how you recruit that. <laughs> I don't know how you recruit that. How you definitely, how you fix that issue specifically? But like I said, attitude reflects leadership. So I think if, if the top of the, if the top of the, if the head of the snake can, can handle the big moment, the rest of the team should follow. So I just think we we'll, we just need to put a little more preparation, be more uh, take more attention to details. Um and and just compete, man. Just compete. That's all I ask. I, and and in this conference, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. I know that. You know the athletes aren't that far away. You know as far as talent wise. So it's just as long as you compete. And I, and I don't know if they use different motive motivation going into games. I don't know, but I just think they need to go back and find a, another why. A bigger mm-hmm. why, a bigger reason to kind of come around, like or come together, a stronger, a stronger uh, source of, of camaraderie, and I, I, I don't really see that 
you know, I see a lot of names, a lot of faces. I see, you know what I'm saying, a, a lot of uh, good players, but I don't see that common goal together. You know right. what I mean? And I, and I know even on our – I remember that my last year there, even on our 76 year, I remember going into Miami to a, go play in Miami in the bowl game. We made a point. Like, we're going out winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going out with the bowl game. We're going out with the – I like, I made sure that I never – well, I never played in the bowl game. I lost, you know, and I want right. to make sure that I kept that – that that consistent. There's just certain things that that you got to kind of just lean on. And my word is pride, man. Somebody got to have pride, man. And I don't, I don't know if that comes from the hometown. Like I said, I don't know if you can recruit that, but it's something that they have to reemphasize. And that's bigger than that's bigger than your last name. That's that's more that's more of the the team. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do this year? The 2020 year, the 2021 year. You know things like that. You being a defensive guy, is there any is there anybody on the Gamecocks defense particularly that you like, you know, enjoy watching? I mean, obviously this year, I thought the defense had a pretty solid year. I mean, Javon Kinlaw, DJ Wanham, what they did. And you've got J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu in the back end, um, Ernest Jones at linebacker, T.J. Brunson. I mean, was there, a, was there one guy you, 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 you want to highlight on the defense that you kind of uh, enjoyed watching this year? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love twenty four. I love the way he competes, and I love the way seven competes. They the two those two DBs. Every time I turn on the TV, they are in the way or making a way, mm. and I, I I love to see that. And they're and they're young, so they, yeah. they got a lot more lot lot more winning or learning to do. You know, so if they can just like I said, they can find a if they can use what they've learned this year. And just and, and sprinkle that with the with the younger guys and use that experience to uh to push the rest of the team forward. They'll be all right. But like I said, it all starts with leadership, and I I don't know for sure who's the leader. You know what I'm saying? And I think it was a lot of times when we played, you knew who, who kind of were the captains. You kind of tell when they kind of popped out on television. I want I want to be able to see that when I see us, and I can't wait to see that when it comes. For sure, for sure. So, Sherrod, I'm going to get you out of here before I do. Uh, last question for you. When you look back on your career, again, there's just so many good memories. I mean, there's so, so many good memories, so many games you guys won, so many big plays, great moments. Is there one particular memory for you that stands out as your favorite memory in Garnet and Black? Uh, favorite, 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 favorite. Let me go back. I got to go in my head. All right. <laughs> easy, easy, easy. 2013 Capital One Bowl, 2014 Capital One Bowl, mm-hmm. play uh, University of Wisconsin, and that was that was uh, uh, the battle, the first half, huge mm-hmm. battle. Like yeah. they were up, I thought they were they were running up and down the field, and um, I think that second half we came out and we competed, we competed like, I, and I remember just telling them like, Dick, we it's a fight, fellas, like y'all never been in a fight, I know y'all been in a fight before, like you. <laughs> You gotta keep swinging. You have to keep swinging, and it's a long battle. And I don't care who they got over there; they ain't got nobody that we haven't seen before or seen nothing like. So let's get it. And I think going out of there, I had I think six tackles in the half, and I had like two tackles for loss and one on fourth down. And that, and it just it was just a lot of emotion, momentum. My my, my linebackers played great. Kwan Lewis had a good game. Uh, my boy uh, Scott Moore had two interceptions. It was just a lot of great uh, stuff happening on the, on the defensive side and offensive side. 
I just think that momentum going into the game, that was the first time I actually contributed heavily into a bowl game, heavily. Like, I played almost every – I played a lot of downs. I made huge plays. And it was on national television against a big team with a Highland Trophy winner, you know. So, yep. it was it was real, real cool to do, man. That was one of my, my – one of my fine memories. Awesome. Well, Sherrod, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. I know I speak for uh, – for all Gamecock fans, and I say, you know, it was a pleasure to watch you out there. Obviously, you guys, again, all the, all the great memories, all the great moments. Um, you know, it was a pleasure to watch you out there. So, appreciate you taking the time. We'd love to have you back on, talk some ball, talk some shop. But uh, really do appreciate it, man. No problem, man. Appreciate you. Go Cox. <laughs> go Cox. So, for, so for sure, I got go lightly. I'm Chris. Gold. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Boy, boy, what is it you want to do when you grow up?